0: Chapter fifty four of Is he Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Srigley, Charlottesville, Virginia, USA. Is he Popenjoy? By Anthony Trollope. Chapter fifty four Jack De Baron's Virtue. We must now go back to Jack de Baron, who left Rudham Park the same day as the Marquis, having started before the news of Lord Popinjoy's death had been brought downstairs by Mr. de Baron, being only Jack de Baron, he had sent to Brotherton for a fly, and in that conveyance had had himself taken to the Lion, arriving there three or four hours before the time at which he purposed to leave the town. Indeed, his arrangements had intentionally been left so open that he might, if he liked, remain the night, or, if he pleased, remain a week at the lion. He thought it not improbable that the dean might ask him to dinner, and if so, he certainly would dine with the dean. He was very serious, considering who he was, we may almost say solemn, as he sat in the fly. It was the rule of his life to cast all cares from him, and his grand principle to live from hand to mouth. He was almost a philosopher in his Epicureanism, striving always that nothing should trouble him. But now he had two great troubles which he could not throw off from him. In the first place, after having striven against it for the last four or five years, with singular success, he had, in a moment of weakness, allowed himself to become engaged to Gus Milmaye. She had gone about it so subtly that he had found himself manacled almost before he knew that the manacles were there. He had fallen into the trap of a hypothesis, and now felt that the preliminary conditions on which he had seemed to depend could never avail him. He did not mean to marry Gus mildmay. He did not suppose that she thought he meant to marry her. He did not love her, and he did not believe very much in her love for him. But Gus Mildmay, having fought her battle in the world for many years, with but indifferent success, now felt that her best chance lay in having a bond upon her old lover. He ought not to have gone to Rudham when he knew that she was to be there. He had told himself that before, but he had not liked to give up the only chance which had come in his way of being near Lady George since she had left London. And now he was an engaged man a position which had always been to him full of horrors he had run his bark on to the rock which it had been the whole study of his navigation to avoid he had committed the one sin which he had always declared to himself that he never would commit this made him unhappy and he was uneasy also almost unhappy respecting lady george people whom he knew to be bad had told him things respecting her which he certainly did not believe but which he did not find it compatible with his usual condition of life altogether to disbelieve if he had ever loved any woman he loved her he certainly respected her as he had never respected any other young woman he had found the pleasure to be derived from her society to be very different from that which had come from his friendship with others with her he could be perfectly innocent and at the same time completely happy to dance with her to ride with her to walk with her to sit with the privilege of looking at her was joy of itself and required nothing beyond it was a delight to him to have any little thing to do for her when his daily life was in any way joined with hers there was a brightness in it which he thoroughly enjoyed though he did not quite understand When that affair of the dance came, in which Lord George had declared his jealousy, he had been in truth very unhappy because she was unhappy, and he had been thoroughly angry with the man, not because the man had interfered with his own pleasures, but because of the injury and the injustice done to the wife. He found himself wounded, really hurt, because she had been made subject to calumny. When he tried to analyze the feeling, he could not understand it it was so different from anything that had gone before he was sure that she liked him and yet there was a moment in which he thought that he would purposely keep out of her way for the future lest he might be a trouble to her he loved her so well that his love for a while almost made him unselfish and yet yet he might be mistaken about her it had been the theory of his life that young married women become tired of their husbands and one of his chief doctrines that no man should ever love in such a way as to believe in the woman he loves after so many years was he to give up his philosophy was he to allow the ground to be cut from under his feet by a young creature of twenty-one who had been brought up in a county town was he to run away because a husband had taken it into his head to be jealous all the world had given him credit for his behaviour at the kappa kappa He had gathered laurels, very much because he was supposed to be the lady's lover. He had never boasted to others of the lady's favour, but he knew that she liked him, and he had told himself that he would be poor-spirited if he abandoned her. He drove up to the line and ordered a room. He did not know whether he should want it, but he would at any rate bespeak it, and he ordered his dinner, come what come might, he thought that he would dine and sleep at Brotherton that day. Finding himself so near to Lady George, he would not leave her quite at once. He asked at the inn whether the dean was in Brotherton. Yes, the dean was certainly at the deanery. He had been seen about in the city that morning. The inhabitants, when they talked about Brotherton, always called it the city. And were Lord George and Lady George at the deanery? In answer to this question, the landlady with something of a lengthened face declared that lady george was with her papa but that lord george was at manor cross then jack de baron strolled out toward the close it was a little after 1 when he found himself at the cathedral door and thinking that the dean and his daughter might be at lunch he went into the building so that he might get rid of half an hour he had not often been in cathedrals of late years and now looked about him with something of awe he could remember that when he was a child he had been brought here to church and as he stood in the choir with the obsequent verger at his elbow he recollected how he had got through the minutes of a long sermon a sermon that had seemed to be very long in planning the way in which if left to himself he would climb to the pinnacle which culminated over the bishop's seat and thence make his way along the capitals and vantages of stonework till he would ascend into the triforium and thus become lord and master of the old building how much smaller his ambitions had become since then and how much less manly yes sir his lordship is here every sunday when he is at the palace said the verger but his lordship is ailing now and the dean the dean always comes once a day to service when he is here but the dean has been much away of late since miss mary's marriage THE DEAN ISN'T IN BROTHERTON AS MUCH AS FORMERLY. I KNOW THE DEAN. I'M GOING TO HIS HOUSE JUST NOW. THEY LIKE HIM IN BROTHERTON, I SUPPOSE? THAT'S ACCORDING TO THEIR WAY OF THINKING, SIR. WE LIKE HIM. I SUPPOSE YOU HEARD, SIR, THERE WAS SOMETHING OF A ROW BETWEEN HIM AND MISS MARY'S BROTHER-IN-LAW? JACK SAID THAT HE HAD HEARD OF IT. THERE'S THEM AS SAY HE WAS WRONG. I SAY HE WAS QUITE RIGHT. THAT'S WHAT WE THINK, SIR. "'It's got about that his lordship said some bad word of Miss Mary. "'A father wasn't to stand that because he's a clergyman, was he, sir? "'The dean did just what you or I would do.' "'That's just it, sir. That's what we all say. Thank you, sir. "'You won't see Prince Edward's monument, sir? "'Gentlemen always do go down to the crypt. "'Jack wouldn't see the monument today, "'and having paid his half-crown was left to wander about alone through the aisles.' How would it have been with him if his life had been different, if he had become perhaps a clergyman, and had married Mary Lovelace, or if he had become anything but what he was, with her for his wife? He knew that his life had been a failure, that the best of it was gone, and that even the best of it had been unsatisfactory. Many people liked him, but was there any one who loved him? In all the world there was but one person that he loved, and she was the wife of another man. Of one thing at this moment he was quite sure, that he would never wound her ears by speaking of his love. Would it not be better that he should go away and see her no more? The very tone in which the verger had spoken of Miss Mary had thrown to the winds those doubts which had come from the teaching of Adelaide Houghton and Gus Mildmay. If she had been as they said, would even her father have felt for her as he did feel? and been carried away by his indignation at the sound of an evil word. But he had asked after the dean at the hotel, and had told the verger of his acquaintance, and had been seen by many in the town. He could not now leave the place without calling. So resolving, he knocked at last at the deanery door, and was told that the dean was at home. He asked for the dean, and not for Lady George, and was shown into the library. In a minute the dean was with him, come in and have some lunch said the dean we have this moment sat down mary will be delighted to see you and so am i of course he went into lunch and in a moment was shaking hands with mary who in truth was delighted to see him you've come from Rudham, asked the dean this moment have they heard the news there what news lord brotherton is there is he not i think he left today he was to do so i heard no news he looked across to Mary and saw that her face was sad and solemn. "'The child that they call Lord Popenjoy is dead,' said the dean. He was neither sad nor solemn. He could not control the triumph of his voice as he told the news. "'Poor little boy,' said Mary. "'Dead,' exclaimed Jack. "'I've just had a telegram from my lawyer in London. "'Yes, he is out of the way, poor little fellow.' as sure as i sit here he was not lord popenjoy i never understood anything about it said jack but i did of course the matter is at rest now i am not the man to grudge any one what belongs to him but i do not choose that any one belonging to me should be swindled if she were to have a son now he would be the heir oh papa do not talk in that way rights are rights and the truth is the truth Can any one wish that such a property, and such a title, should go to the child of an Italian woman whom no one has seen or knows? Let it take its chance now, papa. Of course it must take its chance, but your chances must be protected. Papa, he was at any rate my nephew. I don't know that. In law I believe he was no such thing, but he is gone, and we need think of him no further. He was very triumphant. There was an air about him as though he had already won the great stake for which he had been playing. But in the midst of it all he was very civil to Jack de Baron. "'You will stay and dine with us to-day, Captain de Baron." "'Oh, do,' said Mary. "'We can give you a bed if you will sleep here.' "'Thanks. My things are at the hotel, and I will not move them. I will come and dine if you'll have me.' "'We shall be delighted. We can't make company of you because no one is coming.' I shouldn't wonder if Lord George rode over. He will, if he hears of this. Of course he'll know tomorrow, but perhaps they will not have telegraphed to him. I should go out to Manor Cross, only I don't quite like to put my foot in that man's house. Jack could not but feel that the dean treated him almost as though he were one of the family. I rather think I shall ride out and risk it. You won't mind my leaving you? Of course Jack declared that he would not for worlds be in the way, mary will play badminton with you if you like it perhaps you can get hold of miss Putner and gray and make up a game mr gray was one of the minor canons and miss Putner was the canons daughter we shall do very well papa i'm not mad after badminton and i dare say we shall manage without miss Putner. the dean went off and in spite of the feud did ride over to manor cross His mind was so full of the child's death, and of the all but certainty of coming glory, which now awaited his daughter, that he could not keep himself quiet. It seemed to him that a just providence had interfered to take that child away, and as the Marquis hated him, so did he hate the Marquis. He had been willing at first to fight the battle fairly, without personal animosity. On the Marquis's first arrival he had offered him the right hand of fellowship, He remembered it all accurately, how the Marquis had on that occasion ill-used and insulted him. No man knew better than the Dean when he was well-treated and when ill-treated, and then this Lord had sent for him, for the very purpose of injuring and wounding him through his daughter's name. His wrath on that occasion had not all expended itself in the blow. After that word had been spoken, he was the man's enemy forever. There could be no forgiveness. He could not find room in his heart for even a spark of pity, because the man had lost an only child. Had not the man tried to do worse than kill his only child, his daughter? Now the pseudo-Popenjoy was dead, and the dean was in a turmoil of triumph. It was essential to him that he should see his son-in-law. His son-in-law must be made to understand what it would be to be the father of the future Marquis of Brotherton i think i'll just step across to the inn said jack when the dean had left them and we'll have a game of croquet when you come back i do like croquet though papa laughs at me i think i like all games it's so nice to be doing something jack sauntered back to the inn chiefly that he might have a further opportunity of considering what he would say to her and he did make up his mind he would play croquet with all his might and behave to her as though she were his dearest sister. End of chapter 54